Hello and welcome to another episode of the TNC 15 Minutes of Football podcast. I'm Johnny Bentley, your host, and James Prescott is here again. Hi, everyone. Yes. And we, I mean, there's so much really, as we were sort of talking up before we came on, so much to talk about, including our Arsenal's crisis, which we'll probably leave for another week. We've had media meltdowns, explosions in the relegation positions with teams winning when they perhaps weren't expected to, my team getting a pasting when perhaps we were expected to. And, you know, it, it, it's, been, it's been a crazy old weekend again in, in the world of football. So... I touched on it just slightly then, actually, James, and we'll go straight into the media madness, which is headlined by Jurgen Klopp's outburst with Des Kelly. Possibly, if if nothing else, I think BT would have been delighted with uh, with Des Kelly because he he got he must have generated them a lot of social media clicks over the weekend. Eight minute long uh, rant with the Liverpool manager. Yes, and I think everyone saw that. Mm, I think <laughs> and it was replayed on social media quite a lot. Mm. As well, uh, yeah. it was almost um, pistols at dawn mm. with with, with Jürgen Klopp and Des Kelly. Um, I don't think Des Kelly's ever got such a big. Um, he's never trended on Twitter like that before. I don't think. No, no. <laughs> and uh, it was really interesting watching about different sets of fans reacting to it because Liverpool fans were like, "Yes, Klopp's fighting for us," uh, and everyone else was like, "Klopp's just gone nuts." <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. Like, and and he would during even during the game, he was making some kind of comments and gestures, wasn't he? As well, Detchy. like some sarcastic comments about Chris Wilder, about, didn't he? He said Chris Wilder. Um, yeah, Chris Wilder, yeah. about Chris Wilder, which I thought was <laughs> a bit below the belt. Um, mm. um, yeah. Yeah, and they didn't even lose the game either. Yeah, no. they're still second in the Premier League. I think it was the nature, um, wasn't it? They were one 0 up in added time. Then they it looked like they were yeah. going to roll away with the three points. To be honest, I get the I get the frustrations, but I think it was a penalty. I don't think that considering what we've seen given with dubious handballs and really really soft decisions that you think mm, I'm not sure. Robertson clearly swung and missed the ball, and he clipped Welbeck's foot. So, based on that, I don't, I don't see the issue with the, the whole outburst about, oh, how can they be doing this in football? VAR's a disgrace. VAR did the job, didn't it? Clattering the foot. I mean, he clattered the foot. Did, if, yeah. and, and, and Brighton being a smaller club in the past, we've said sometimes the smaller clubs don't get the benefit of the doubt. Okay, it was at home. So maybe that would be the wrong way to use it. But can you imagine Brighton fighting at the bottom of the table in the last few minutes, that goes unnoticed. You're talking for hours after the game, if you're a Brighton fan, saying we should have had a penalty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they had a penalty earlier in the game, which yeah, they, they missed. Yeah. <laughs> they had a lot of chances in the game as well. Yeah. And mm. so in a way, even though it probably yeah, may or may not have been a penalty, but they quite what did deserved you think? the goal. What did you think? I think it was a stone. I think it was a penalty. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was. A, I thought it was a pretty fair penalty. Yeah, um, considering what has been given this season. Yeah, exactly. I think that was, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's right. I mean, the one of the, the there was a Liverpool goal that wasn't given. It was given offside, which was one of those kind of offside VAR things where it's like part of their anatomy is is offside technically, but it's normal that wouldn't have been given offside. Well, they it? had two. They had two, didn't they? Yeah, Mane, Mane yeah. scored and 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 Salah scored. Yeah. 
But I think it was a fair result, actually. I, uh, well, we've got to remember, though, James, it, the, 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 the media meltdown of Jurgen Klopp was split into two parts, and that was like a, a third of the portion, really, was about the VAR, which I think was a bit unjust because I, again, think, you look at all the decisions, I think it got it right, and I think if the shoe was on the other foot, it, you know, we'd have had a very different reaction. And would, would people have made as big a deal about Brighton not getting... I don't think we'd have seen the same meltdown if the shoe would have been on the other foot. You know, no. I think... We'd have just no, said, "Oh, Liverpool of Liverpool of of shown resilience and character to against adversity." And I th I think that's probably you know that's just the way it is. I suppose when the big club doesn't get the way, it's a huge outcry often. And and you know, I, I like you said, I think Brighton deserved a share of the spoils, but that was only a third, as I say, of, of the meltdown. The other two thirds really were aimed at fixture congestion and the scheduling of games. And it's not that Jurgen Klopp's not the first manager to go. To, to have a, a quite public outburst on this because I remember a few weeks ago when Everton uh, when United Man United beat Everton 3-1 at Goodison Oli Gunnar Solskjaer did perhaps the fieriest interview I've ever seen I mean I was just sort of on my phone looking through Twitter and then I just I couldn't believe what I was hearing Oli Gunnar Solskjaer coming out and giving giving Death Kelly again both barrels because he's not happy with this with the scheduling of Wednesday Saturday I don't know I I suppose they've got a point, especially with with the with the way that the season's sort of been patchily put together. But for years, people, I suppose, have had the Thursday Sunday thing in the Europa League. The only counter argument yeah. with that, though, James, I guess, is those in the Europa League can play a reserve team often in the group yeah. stage, and then the full I, eleven on Sunday. It's really interesting because I remember Jose Mourinho talking about this back in two thousand five. Mm. Right, he was saying. I remember the interview because he was Chelsea manager at the time. He said, you, he said, like, no other country believes in this. Like, if you go to any other European country and tell them you are going to play in Europe to represent your country in European competition on Tuesday and you play Sunday, they, they don't believe in that. They, they, they move fixtures around to help their teams mm -hmm. in European competition. Mm -hmm. And it, it was, like, baffling to him because he, was new, he was new in England. And he was like, "How how how do you do this in England? Why do you do this in England? Like, mm. it's only England that does this, you know." Mm. Uh, and so you can, and especially right now, because every team is every the big teams, especially, are playing two games a week. Yeah, every team in Europe is playing two games a week, six weeks in a row. You mentioned right? Tottenham. You mentioned Mourinho as well, James. Remember Tottenham's start to the season, which was ridiculous. It was like. Yeah. Premier League, yeah. Europa League qualifying, Carabao Cup, Premier League. I mean, there was one week yeah. where it was Premier League, Carabao Cup, Europa League and Premier yeah. League all in one week. Yeah. Within seven days, they had four games. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he didn't moan too much, did he? I know. I know. I know. It's very, he didn't, very he didn't like go. him. I was like, you know, this is like the perfect opportunity. Yeah. For Mourinho to come out and do a Mourinho, you know, and say it's all <laughs> against us, you know, the whole world's against <laughs> us. I prefer not uh, to speak. He didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but it is, yeah, there has to, I think it, it's difficult to do right now because with Champions League, you're playing Wednesday or Tuesday. So, yeah. And if you're, and if it's, there's no, there's only a week between it, then it's, it's difficult to balance it. But if you played on Wednesday, playing at 12 30 on Saturday is not. The problem is, James, though, I think, because right England, thing, England has such an extortionate television deal, which is nearly £5 billion altogether. Yeah, that's and, right. It's all about uh, that. Yeah. And it is. And, and what happens is you get BT Sport have the 12.30 slot religiously. That's their slot. And then any other slot, they sometimes get 
the game later. Sometimes get the game at three o'clock now because of the new every game has to be on TV and not behind a paywall. And well, a paywall in a paywall because you have to be a BT customer. But they now have the th- they like to do the back to back with the three o'clock. Sometimes they have a late kickoff at eight. Sometimes they have a game on Sunday. But religiously, usually their so- their mainstay slot is the twelve thirty on Saturday. Now, from BT's point of view, I think they want the identity of oh, where's, when's the early kickoff? It's going to be on BT Sports, so we'll put that on. It, you know, it kind of makes sense. And you're putting that much money in, you want continuity, I guess, from their point of view, so that viewers know, early kickoff, I'll, go, I'll tune into BT. I'm not confused. Mm. So clubs know that. Even when, you know, clubs know that's what they're signing up to. And I get, you know, I do get the frustrations, actually, because, you know, it is unprecedented times at the moment. You can switch the... Maybe you could switch the fixtures around, but I'm thinking from BT's point of view, they paid for that slot. They have an identity with that slot during this rights deal. So they don't, from their point of view, they don't want to be playing that slot sometimes on Sunday, sometimes on Monday or Friday or whenever. They don't want to be moving that around. And on the flip side, Sky don't want to maybe give away their Sunday afternoon slot. They, they'll say, well, hang on, we get the best ratings in this slot. We have Super Sunday, so we don't want to play that game on half past 12 just because you know team x has played on wednesday and wants to play on sunday so it's a bit more complicated i think than i mean from like we say from on the surface level oh yeah just mix the fixtures around common sense but when business and finance comes into play and you've got two rival tele- television companies you know trying to compete for the best ratings every week it's probably going to be a bit more difficult isn't it than just simply saying oh yeah switch them two around you know, yeah, it's very, it's very complicated, and the clubs. You could argue that from the from the from the broadcaster's point of view, you can say, "Well, we're paying you a lot of money for this, like, and you get the benefit of that money because you get to spend that money on yep. players, you get to strengthen your squads, you get to, you know, make a big profit." So, it, it's it's there's two sides to it. There are, and that was that that was the kind of crux of that argument. Mm. Between, between yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, both sides, you know. I actually thought Des Kelly conducted himself quite well. I don't think he was rude. I no, think I he did. was just yeah, trying absolutely. to put his point across. Yeah. In fairness yeah. to Klopp, I think Klopp was just emotional in the moment, and he had it is in a way he does have a point. But I think it's one of those where you can see both sides. And as a non-Liverpool fan, you know, it made for good popcorn <laughs> entertainment between the two going back and forth uh, for yeah. a good eight minutes. But the the, the, the sort of tag question to that is okay we can't do much about when the when the fixtures are as we just said because there's a lot it's a lot more complicated than common sense prevails so should we adopt the five substitute rule now Absolutely. before you answer I, I, oh go on then you've got the i could counter this so go on you 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 go first i have i think i, I actually think i didn't want it for the i think with the number of fixtures that people teams are playing you're going to put players under a lot of stress mm. i mean a lot, number of managers have said this it's not just clock lots of managers mm. have said this that you know you're going to kill players you're going to give them muscle injuries you're going to or fatigue injuries or whatever uh which are you know which which can you know damage their season and mm. yeah and that's not good for the game when players get injuries you don't want that so the, I mean, I know the reverse argument for it is that it benefits the big clubs because they have stronger squads. So they can, like, example, Chelsea yesterday had Kai Havertz, <laughs> Olivier Giroud and Christian Pulisic on the bench. And they all came on, right? So 
and there's and the, the, the top the other teams outside the top six don't have that depth, mm. right? So it doesn't uh, benefit. Yeah, it doesn't really benefit the... them. But but I, I yeah, I just think that when you're playing two games a week every week and going into Christmas is going to affect every Premier League mm. team. Mm. Like, I mean, like Manchester City and Chelsea have to play within four, two Premier League games in the space of forty eight hours, pretty much. And they're going to have to play almost different 11s. Like, because if they play this, if you play, if players play too many games, they will get injuries. Mm. Like, just our fatigue, apart from anything else, because of the intensity of the Premier League. You know, so uh, just, just as a counter, well, I don't know where I sit on this because I can see the reason for it, to be fair. I'm just trying to balance the argument as such, but. You're right, you've touched on it before. There are it will benefit bigger teams to an extent, but then the counter argument is bigger teams playing Europe, so they're playing a lot more games. Um but there is a there, there is a point that bigger teams are sometimes only using one sub when they're in a game. Do you think that's because you do, well, actually I think that's almost in favour of it because people will say, Oh, they're they're only using one sub as such, so they don't need five. But it means that if they want to change a game, they're not, you know, they're not using the maximum subs. They'd only be using the subs more yeah. to rest yeah. bodies. I think is, I think I'm right, aren't I, in the way we're going about it there? Yeah, I my argument for that is that they're not right, they're not using all their subs purely because <laughs> because they think they might get an injury, and mm. so they need to have an extra sub just for the mm. injury. Mm. So if someone gets injured, they need to have a sub available. Mm. Uh, it's like that thing, like we saw the Wolves game, right? That Oh, yeah. The concussion subs, like you should be allowed an extra substitute if a player gets serious, a very serious injury. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't come out of your subs for the game. Now, mm. say if you've got five subs, you don't even need to have that rule. No. Because, because, you've got, because you can sign an injured player and you've still got four subs. If yeah. you have two injured players, you've still got three subs. So, no, so that's, that's a really good point, actually. Because um, the, David, the makes, fact. That's another reason why it makes sense because. Um, like Arsenal had, I mean, sort of Arsenal Wolves had to use one of their subs last night, and Arsenal yeah. didn't because they were trying to keep us hold of a sub with David Luiz and had him play on for a whole half with a bleeding head. It, it, yeah, you know, exactly. It, I it, think he's going to come off. Yeah, but you make a really good point there, actually. And I think so. In summary, to that section, I think entertaining interview with Klopp and Kelly. Both sides have a point. It's yeah. unrealistic to ask TV companies to continually change matches just because a team might be playing Wednesday, Saturday, because common sense rarely does prevail in these situations. Usually it's money and, and, and rivalry between two television companies that are competing for ratings and TV slots. But we do think that maybe one, one way to even out the playing field would be to allow five subs into the game because of injury crises and simply it seems the most effective way to deal with the season going forward. Fantastic. I think, I think we had, I think we summed it up pretty well, actually. I think that was quite good, yeah. And that's bang yeah. under fifteen, so I was I'm happy with that. Very, very good. Okay, so we'll move on to sort of well, we don't often talk about uh, teams at the bottom of the table, so we'll, we'll we'll go to the Premier League now. And uh, Leicester, Leicester did almost well, no, they didn't. They lost two one to Fulham as opposed to two 0 when we came on uh, this podcast. It was two 0 and then Harvey Barnes let go two one. So we're going to talk really about what, what, what it's taken to stay in the Premier League this season because I think the, there's been a, ge- a general struggle at the bottom because I think there's a group of teams that haven't, that haven't got... Usually, I, I, think the, I think the points level is going to be lower this season than it usually is to stay in the Premier League because I think 
there is more of a collective struggle across the board. And I think that's affected the top teams, but I also think it's affected the teams lower down in that we've talked about 40 points being the, the proverbial barrier in, in the past. That's always yeah. been a bit high. It's usually been about 35, 34. I think it might be even lower this year. I can probably see 30, maybe even, yeah. maybe even high 20s because the there's so much going on outside of football at the moment that's making it really hard for, for teams. We talk about the top teams having struggles, but then I think a lot of the smaller clubs, particularly my club, have struggled a little bit with the finances in, in a really tough period and yeah. a, a shortened uh, transfer window and a shortened pre-season. It, it's had effects all across the all across the league. So just as a general gist, Jim, do you think there could be a, a, a much lower threshold to, to jump over in order to survive in the Premier well, League this season? Yeah, you, mean, you mean to survive or to go down? Yeah, no, to survive. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, if you look at the bottom three now, Sheffield United have one point from 10 games. Yeah. Burnley have five points from nine games and their game in hand is against Manchester United. Fantastic. Um, so as, only so- yeah. oh. <laughs> um, as much as I would like you to win against Manchester United, really I would. Um, t- depends which one turns up, I'll say that. Yeah, that's true. That's true, actually. That is true. Um, West Brom have got six points from 10 games and Fulham, having beaten Seven. Leicester... Um, seven, I think, isn't it? Seven, yeah, from ten, and Brighton have ten from ten. So, yeah, I think, might, I think, I mean, like, if you take it on that that kind of barometer, mm. yeah, it will be. It could be about thirty-five, thirty-six points to stay up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what it usually is. I'm I'm edging more towards thirty. I think that you might say that's a bit of a, a stretch, but I think I think in recent years it's been around the thirty-five point mark. I think we could be due another four or five point drop, but that I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Just to stretch that out again as well, we've got Palace on 13 points, Arsenal on 13 points, and Newcastle and Leeds on 14. Quite how Newcastle have picked up 14 points this season, beggars belief. I've watched them quite a few times. They do not look like a team that knows what they're doing to get points. And somehow, you know, you, you know, game on game, they seem to jam, they seem to jam. A result, and the, the fans agree with me. By the way, they don't think they're playing in a way that is sustainably going to pick them up points. And yet, through Alan Set Maximan doing a wonderful attacking run, through Callum Wilson being predatory in the box, and through Carl Darlow making the most saves in the Premier League, they have managed to amass fourteen points. I think there could be a bit of a cl- climb down from that eventually. But what do we think then, James? I mean, you know, I, I've, I've wrote about this. I've talked about this. I, to stay in the Premier League, you generally need strikers at the top end of the pitch who's going to score double-figure goals. Now, I think Fulham have that in Mitrovic, but Mitrovic doesn't play for Fulham every every week. And you can see why, because Fulham like to play good football. They like to play out from the back and they've got nimble footballers, Luckman being one, who's very, very easy on the eye. And when Mitrovic is the focal point, yes, I think if he plays 38 games, he'll probably get about 10 goals, which is what teams want. But he's so not he's, he's so out of place in a team that wants to play good football it's scary I mean mm-hmm. there's all these nice nimble footballers and then it goes to Mitrovic who can't seem to move two yards to the side or two yards to the side and it's interesting because you'd say most neutrals will say oh Fulham need Mitrovic to score 10 plus goals for them to stay up but what happens if your striker your top goal scorer the, your striker with the most goal scoring potential what happens if he's of, of detriment to the way you want to play do you just say Let's try and do it. Let's try and do it without him and bring him off the bench if we need him. Well, that's what they did today, and they won. Yeah, 
I mean, mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's tough. It's tough for those teams. Mm. It really is. I, I, yeah, it's horrible when you're down there mm. because it's every game you're just like thinking, well, we're probably going to lose. <laughs> like, you know, what can we do? And they don't obviously, and most teams down there don't have the squad depth, so mm. they can't even change their. Like they can't even they can't just go and buy a player in January and spend big money to you know keep themselves up you know I mean like for example I mean like their squad if you look at it there's players there that if they go down will be out the door you like you know people like um like Sander Berg for example very good he's way too good for playing in the championship. Yeah, uh, he will. He he had big clubs interested in him when he moved to Sheffield United. You know what? They spent a bit of money though, Sheffield United. They I mean, have, they yeah. yeah. They can make it back. You know, yeah. I mean, he he will ask to go. There will be there'll be a few players that that go. Some of them will stay because a lot of them have come all the way up, mm. all the way up with them with United through the divisions. Yeah. But some people, big signings, will could leave. You know, mm. I mean, that's a reality. Uh, well, unfortunately, they, they've spent. So Dean four- yeah, I mean, Dean Henderson's a Man United player. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, Aaron Ramsdale now, isn't it? I mean, Ramsdale was twenty million pounds, and he's not kept a clean sheet in the Premier League. I don't think he's been necessarily terrible, but I don't think he 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 doesn't seem like. I mean, Henderson was very, very good last year, very, very good, and he saved him in a lot of games. And he was vocal, and he was confident, and he really, he really made the position his own. And I think Ramsdale's come in, and yeah, he's okay. You know, but he, he's quite a quiet presence. I don't think he's he, he doesn't pull off as many stop top saves as as Henderson did, and it's small things I think are collectively that just aren't working. I mean, last season for Sheffield United, I think they scored a lot of goals, and you thought they've had to work hard to score those goals. They've worked hard, they've kept knocking on the door, and they've done it in a way that you know you thought, oh, they've they've deserved it. They've they've knocked on the door a lot, and they finally got the rewards. And it, but it was hard work for them. And this year. It's just not happening in the same way. And they got Brewster as well for 25 million. So 45 million on Brewster and Ramsdale. And Brewster can't even nail up down a place in the starting in the starting eleven. He's in and out of the team. I don't actually I mean Chris Wilder has this habit. He plays two strikers and he has this habit of taking both of them off before the hour mark and then putting another two on. Yeah. And and it and it's sometimes and you know, he does that. Sometimes one of them, sometimes both of them. And it's like none of the strikers can seemingly nail down a place and some look really good off the ball. They hold the ball up and they just can't score goals. Some of them, like Brewster, you'd think has the best finishing potential, but he does absolutely, he's just not getting involved enough. So the ones that are getting involved aren't scoring the goals. And then Brewster, who can't get involved, isn't getting the chances to score the goals. So they're in a real pickle. And one point, like like you say, from, from I think nine games now, is it? One point from, I'm just going to double check that. I think we're in week nine. One point from 10 games. Well, it's even worse than I thought. Yeah. yeah. At one point, you know, I actually think they play some half-decent football at times, but it's it's looking precarious. And the difference with Sheffield United and Burnley, I think Burnley have built a bit of heritage, short-term heritage, in that they, they, they're, they're quite established as a club. They've got three strikers, I think, that could get double-figure Premier League returns, Barnes, Rodriguez and Wood. You've got a defence that, it's Premier League established when it's on form. Don't take into account the 5-0 at, at the Etihad. That can happen. And I think there's you look at that and you think they should have they should look at themselves in the mirror and think, actually, we've done this before, year after year, for the past four seasons. 
So we can do it again. Why not? We've got everything in place to do it again. A bit of investment in January should help that situation out. I don't think you can do that with Sheffield United because they've been in the league once and they've not faced this adversity before. And Brewster's only a young guy. Ramsdale's first season in the Premier League, he got relegated. So you've not got people there that are going to be, oh, don't worry, we've done this before, we can, we can fight back. Sometimes doubt's going to be everywhere. It's going to be everywhere. And that's why you worry for them. And that's why you worry for the promoted, for the newly promoted teams as well, I guess. We talked about Fulham. Just to go back to Fulham, like I said, I think you didn't quite answer the question. So, I, you know, I give it you back again. Do you compromise your style of play for a goal scorer? Or do you back your style of play and then throw the goal scorer on like Mitrovic in the last 10 minutes if things aren't going your way? What do you do? I think at some point you have to do what you need to do to survive. Mm. Right, you, you, if you keep playing the same way with the same players and it's not working, well, mm. you have to change something. You have mm. to. You have to do what it takes to get results, mm. and that applies to the top the top end of the table as well as the bottom end. Mm. You know, like I, I know that um, I remember when Jose Mourinho was at Chelsea and they won the title. They were playing really great football first half of the season. They lost five two at Spurs. Mm. He changed it. Then they changed. They played a more compact counter-attack defensive mm-hmm. play for the rest of the season. So, yeah, I I am when you when it comes to survival, you've just got to get the results, whatever that looks like. And it's how does about, it look? Is it is it um, Billy? Is it use your best players? Yeah, you've mm. got to try and build a system around your best players that works and that mm. can get results. You've got to keep. You've got to keep clean sheets, and you've got to score goals. I, I think the thing with Fulham though is you've got eight or nine starters who can pass the ball around pretty confidently, and then you've yeah. got Mitrovic who can't. He's just a. He's a target man. You put Mitrovic at Burnley, he probably does quite well. You put Mitrovic at another club, West Brom, he probably yeah. does quite well. But Scott okay. Park has put put in. I mean, he was top goal scorer in the championship last year, but there's still this nagging doubt. I think with Scott Parker that if he puts Mitrovic up front, they lose a bit of their rhythm when they go forward. But, and they're not quite playing to the passing strengths of the seven or eight that can play on that those passing strengths. But at the yeah. same time, if you if you lob balls into the box for him, he's probably going to get a goal every, what is it, a goal every two or three games? Probably three games being at the bottom. So maybe get double figures if he plays every yeah, week. But then, yeah. you, but, then, but then you lose your style, you lose your rhythm. And if he gets one goal every three games, and the other team get two or three, then, you know, you, it's not really worth it, is it? Yeah, you can get a... You can have a strong system which can keep conceding goals to a minimum, mm. and you have a and you have a striker that can score every three games. Well, you don't need to win every game to get to survive. Yeah, you can afford to you can afford to, to lose games and still survive. Well, if you can win every two or three games, mm. or even every four games, you know it's. I mean, how many? Yeah, let's think. I mean, how many is thirty six points? It's like. It's 10 wins and six draws. So you can lose 20 games. I think it'll be less. I'm going to say 31 or 30. I do believe that this season. I think well, I've seen it. Case, even, more, even more. You, you, could, yeah. you, can, you can literally win seven games or eight games mm. and draw, and draw what is it, eight, and draw six. You could mm. literally lose 25 games, 24 games. Well, it's almost when, ca- when, caution, when caution gets too much, though, and you get so stuck in your ways that... That's all you know. You have a bit of an. That's where you have a bit of a, a problem where the club and the fans start to outgrow the manager. And you see that a bit with Roy Hodgson at Crystal Palace, who's got 
He's got Wilfred Zaha, Eberechieze, Patrick Van Aan, Holt, Jordan Ayew, Michi Batshuayi. Uh, you've got Max Meyer, Andros Townsend. I mean, you could go on. They've got a lot of good players, and yet they look like they can't pass the ball in the past two games against Newcastle and Burnley. And it's yeah, almost like, right. you know they're going to stay up because that style does reap its rewards over a long period of time. But it's quite. it doesn't necessarily bode well for future progression. It's just, we know we're going to stay up. We know we're going to play in this safe, pragmatic way, but we're going to bore the hell out of you, even with really excited players like that. And it's going to be pretty grim to watch. And it shouldn't really be like that. But it's all. But then at the same time, if you go all Frank De Boer and say, oh, well, I want to play, you know, out for the back with 80% possession. And he lost his first five games. So it's always that. There is a middle ground. You can play attacking football with flair players, but also have a solid defensive block. It is mm. possible to do that. Top teams do that. I mean, Liverpool do that. Mm. They have a solid... They have, I mean, like... You have, to com- you have to compromise a bit at the bottom. I think I actually think, uh, just, just to finish this section off, Leeds have come up and done a perfect job because they are a bit vulnerable at the back, but they play a high-risk game where they, where they take a lot of chances and they actually do reap rewards in attack. They'll get a few spankings, they'll lose a few games quite heavily because of the way they play, but over the, you know, over the course of the season, I think the way they play, it's very unpredictable, hard to play against. I think they'll pick up the points they need to pick up to survive and they'll do it in an entertaining way by attacking, attacking, attacking. They've also got, by the way, I think if we do a team of the season Premier League, which we probably will do, a bit like we did at this point, like last year, we get the graphic designers up. I think Leeds' goalkeeper, Melia, is a top goalkeeper. It could well be on my team of the season at that point, uh, midway through. But anyway, yeah, I think they've got the balance spot on. If, if, if as, as possible as it is to get it spot on with a limited budget, like maybe they do have. So they, I think that's good. Anyway... Top five in a position. Now, this one's a bit more ambiguous than the other ones uh, because, well, it is, because this is defensive midfielders. A defensive midfielder is difficult because are they in a double pivot? Are they in a single? Are they at load six? It's hard to really judge. And I, I, sort of, I sort of imagine that if you're a true defensive player, when we clash you with that, you can play as a load six. I mean, we've had this discussion about Kante and he's actually been really good in a load six recently. Like, evolves into that position. And Fabinho, who's very good as a lone six for Liverpool, was initially in a double pivot for Monaco and he has played at right back and at centre back. So again, I, I imagine most of these players can play as that as that lone six if necessary. And it's very hard. It's hard. It's a hard one, this. So there's going to be some scepticism, there's going to be some ambiguity. And I'm not sold on my shouts, but well, that's why I'll, I'll hand you over to James for his five. First, <laughs> then. Uh, oh, thank no. you for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm really. It's hard. It really is. And we were talking it's before about one, how hard yeah. it is. It is. Yeah. Okay. It is. Before we go on to the five, what are we sort of, from my point of view, what we what I'm quantifying is someone who you can sit in front of your back four or back three or whatever, and you know, and your defenders know that he's going to do a really good job of mopping up danger, thinking with a yeah. defensive hat on, and maybe setting the attack off. Not necessarily anything spectacular in terms of, you know, dictating play. I mean, Sergio Busquets, by the way, in his prime, uh, was perfect at being a a defensive stopper and um, an excellent distributor. But that's not all. I mean, he was the best in the world at a period. And that's not always possible even now. Joshua Kimmich, actually, is probably someone who can do that brilliantly. I think he is the best in the world. But in the Premier League, I don't think there's anyone who... 
I think there's people who can do it. I think Kimmich is on another level, actually, to anyone on this list, I think. But I think this list has still got some good names on there. So I'll let you, or at least in my head, I think with the defensive midfielders, defence first, stopper first, can pass the ball and, and, and can keep the tempo going. That's what I think. Is that what you go with? Yeah, um, I I go, I mean, my number one, number one is defending, breaking up attack, being in the <laughs> right position. Know, uh, protecting the back four that is the number one job yeah. like yes they should be able to pass I mean, most players can pass the ball now yeah and they can yeah they can pass the ball out i wouldn't i don't expect them to be a deep line playmaker i don't expect them no. to create i don't expect them to i just expect them to get the ball protect the back four win the ball get it to get it to the attacking midfielders or the more advanced midfielders mm. you know uh, and allow them to express themselves. So, almost like releasing the attacking players to express themselves without having to worry about what happens if they lose the ball. Yeah, I think yeah. that's fair. I think that's fair. So, okay. yeah, just for clarity, this is defensive midfielder. We imagine we could see them as a lone six, but I think just just for, just to allow for a bit of inclusivity, the, it could be a defensive midfielder in a, in a double pivot. I guess that that would be more yeah. suited to a double pivot. Yeah. yeah. So. That's that's what we'll go with, Clarence. So go on, James. Who's at the top of your list? Well, you're probably going to call me biased, but I don't mm. care because I think mm. I believe I'm right. Um, okay, well that's good. <laughs> uh, I would probably say this if I wasn't a Chelsea fan. Anyway, to be honest, um, Ingolo Kante um, okay. is my top one. Mm. He's just he's a world class player. Uh, I mean, this season, this season he has played number six for Chelsea. He's played defensive mm. midfield for Chelsea. And he's been brilliant. And they've got the second best defence in the Premier League and the most clean sheets. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, he, his positioning is excellent. He's physically strong. He's very good at intercepting stuff, breaking up attacks. Yeah. Got a lot of energy. But he's actually shown a lot of discipline this year. Mm. Um, and, you know, yeah, he's not your kind of your silky passing Jorginho types, but he can pass the ball. He can get the ball forward. Yeah. And he's got good attacking players in front of him. He's got, you know, Mason Mount or um, Havertz or even Kovacic as well. Uh, and, yeah, he kind of, again, releases them to do their job uh, and gives you a bit of confidence that, uh, you know, that the defender... I mean, Chelsea have not been... have not conceded a goal from a counter-attack this season. No. And last season, they were conceding loads of goals from counter-attacks. Uh, yeah. when, they didn't, when they were playing different formations and Kante was... Injured for fifty percent of the season, as well. Is that and accurate? So, is that is it actually fifty percent? Oh yeah, it is actually. We look at the number of games he played over the. Season, I was just being facetious then as well. So. He missed fifty percent of the games. I mean, he, yeah. he wasn't out for like fifty fifty of the season. It was just no. Yeah. But in terms of the game, number of games he missed, yeah, it was it was literally yeah. half the game. You know what? Uh, I'm really torn between one and two. Uh, oh, it's really hard actually. I I also thought Kante on balance. What The reason what swayed me with Kante was how he's evolved into what we were still to say whether he was or he wasn't, which is a lot. We've seen him in a lone six. We've seen him do well. So him dominate for France, I think, against Portugal in that lone six, yeah. uh, which can become a pivot if necessary. And such a humble footballer. And I, it's really hard because it, the, the, the way he's evolved... Just short, just just in the short term, really, has made me. Re- I always thought when he was in Antonio Conte's system, I thought he was the best in the world. When that Antonio Conte three four three, he was. I agree with that. Yeah, and I thought that 
when Antonio Conte left, it did suffer, you know, Conte's game suffered a bit as a result. But I think slowly under Lampard, it, it, we're seeing a return, not to the same bombarding, barnstorming, every, he's everywhere kind of midfielder that maybe he was under Conte, but a slightly more mature, but can still cover a hell of a lot of ground and do a lot of off-the-ball work that, you know, goes unnoticed. So I'll agree with you. And I'll say, and I'll say, I'll say Kante first, I think. And it also makes me think that if Chelsea, and we're not going to break, we're not, I don't want to open a debate, so I'm just going to say it, we'll move on to two. But it also makes me think, if Chelsea were to pursue a move for Declan Rice, he wouldn't be forced to go straight into the team because of how well Kante is now adjusting and evolving into the, into the deepest loan position and the, the maturity that he's showing there. So I'll go with Kante. Although, can I just say, I think Kimmich is better than Kante. I do think Kimmich is the best. Oh, well. Kimmich is Kimmich is elite. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. yeah. But hey, Kante is good too, and he's a lovely guy. You just you just can't help but he love is. Kante. He still yeah. drives a mini keeper. He doesn't have a flashy car. Fantastic, and he yes. gives away half of his salary to charity. It's brilliant. Like, yeah, yeah. Number and he two. pays. No, I think, and also he pays tax. Like I think I heard that <laughs> yeah. Chelsea offered them a new contract. Chelsea have this thing where they can pay the money into a trust where you don't pay tax. <laughs> and and Kante <laughs> said he wanted to pay tax. I mean, oh, like, take notes, yeah, everyone. Ninety grand a week, so you know he can afford to be taxed. But he can do, yeah. Nevertheless, you know yeah. he's, he's a lovely guy. He's a he lovely is. guy. You can't hate him. Okay, number two for me was we'll have to we'll speed up. I mean, number one we had to wax lyrically. Number two, Fabinho, I think, and I was really struggling with Fabinho because uh, he's been absolutely dominant for Chelsea for quite a while, and I'm <laughs> flip flopping between the two. The, the only thing that goes against him slightly is his pace, but I don't think he's necessarily too... He's not he's not unquick. He he's can still cover ground. And it, it's really hard. To, it's really hard to choose between between him and him and Kante, really. And, I, and I'm very, very stuck at this point. The only reason I sort of went for Kante was because we've seen what he did when he was brilliant under Kante. And I've seen the way he's evolved his game over the past year. And... I've just edged that. Honestly, I wouldn't care. It's a flip of a coin. I wouldn't care which one was doing it. I think with Kante, you got someone who moves a bit more across the ground. And with Fabinho, you got someone who sort of stays central but makes intelligent movements nonetheless to, to break up play. So I'd have either of them. Uh, and I'd probably go one and two like that. Although I could easily flip that around. Yeah, uh, Fabinho is my number two. Yeah, yeah. basically the same reasons as you. He's class... Uh, been excellent for Liverpool. Been really important to them winning the title. Yeah, under the radar a little bit because you know people like Van Dyke and you know got all the headlines and Allison and uh, and obviously the attackers they got all the headlines. But he yep. was a really important part of of that. He was. Um, yeah, um, quality quality player. Right, very good. Okay, number three, James. Well, I, after the first two, it was difficult for me. Um, because I knew, I knew who they were, but I couldn't decide the order that I was going to put them in. Mm. But in the end, I went for, um, because of his progress in the last year or so, especially at West Ham, <laughs> <laughs> given the way who uh, it is. Yeah, no, he's, Declan Rice has just been, he's just looks incredible at the moment. Mm. Like he's, 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 he, and he's got the whole game. He's uh, he's not the fashionable player, obviously, because he's English and doesn't have a fancy name. But 
his passing is excellent. He's a leader at the back. Um, he's, def he's defending. He's defensively. He's superb. He's physically strong. He's vocal. He's always in the right position, and he was a big part of West Ham's turnaround in form last year. Like in mm. terms of, and he's maybe not his. I'm I'm picking him there, maybe not on what he is now, but what he will be, because he's only 21. Mm. He's not anywhere near his peak yet. And to be honest, to be honest, in terms of where players are now, the 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 next guy on my list will probably be above him. Yep. Um, but. I'm, I'm, yeah, maybe I'm being a bit biased. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, hang on. Who, who's um, fourth? Indeedy. Oh, well, you see, that's good because, oh, no, I don't even have, I don't even have rice in my top five, so ignore me. I'm saying I had Indeedy as third because I think Indeedy was integral to what Leicester did. I think without him, they have to, they've had to readjust one of the key performers because he was your quintessential defensive midfielder. Good on the ball, brilliant. Yeah. The docket work very big, very strong, quite quick, perfect. Um, the other thing that holds him back is that he's not Kante or Fabinho because I think you know almost every other club would have him, and Absolutely. yeah, and just like Pereira, they've missed him immensely. Just like um, Pereira, right back, they've missed him so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, so it, was, it was a toss up. I mean, it wasn't really a, like it yeah, is, it's not one over the other. Really, they're kind of mm. I'd like to put them equal, really, but. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm talking Rice based on potential rather than what he's already yeah. done. Oh, no, Rice will, could uh, be good. I think, right, yeah. If yeah. I'm picking up current form now, then I would pick Ndidi over Rice. Yeah. It's more it's more of a what we would what we would have in a year or two's time. I still think I'd take a fully done Ndidi because he's just, wow, I think he's great. And fourth is oh, also is. just defines. Yeah. I'd, have, I'd have Thomas Partey in fourth. Yeah, I'd have Partey yeah. in fourth because... Even though this one's a bit less of a, a, a defined lone six, at Atletico Madrid, you're playing uh, largely the 4-4-2 with two, I call jack-of-all-trades central midfielders because you've got to tackle, you've got to move quickly, you've got to pass the ball. And it's hard, you know, you've got to be quite dogged, determined and aggressive in a Diego Simeone team. He's got all that. He's got technical excellence. He played against Man United at Old Trafford for Arsenal and absolutely played you know, dominated that midfield. He's not been fit for the past couple of games and it showed. He is a phenomenally good midfielder. Arsenal have got a gem and he's going to cause, he's going to be outstanding, I think, for them. I really do think he's I got I, I, I him very yeah. Is he fifth for you or sixth? Oh no, he's sixth. Well, he? yeah, my fifth and sixth, my fifth was like a really difficult one because I, because party, like everything you said on party is true. Hmm. Yeah, he is, he's a, He's a top-class defensive midfield player. Was excellent at Atletico. Was great for Arsenal against Manchester United. And when he's fit, he will be a great player for them. And they've missed yeah. him when he's not there. But then I, I also thought of... I wanted to think about who's doing well at the moment as well. Mm. Mm. No, it's um, fair enough. And I think on pure ability, Party would be fifth. Yes. On yeah. pure ability, uh, yeah, he would be he would be fifth. But I... I, I he, I put I put Hoiberg there purely because of the way he's performing for Spurs, performing at a high level consistently for them, and mm. he's an important part of what they're doing there, what Mourinho's doing there, um, and the fact that they've got the best defence in the Premier League yeah. at the moment, he's a big part of that. He's Again, he's freed up people like Son and Kane to express themselves more and score more goals, uh, mm. and 
he's been a big part of that as well. So, yeah, party is better in terms of overall ability and potential. Yeah. But in terms of this season, mm. uh, consistently, mm. Hoiberg's been fantastic. Uh, I agree um, with you. I've also got Hoiberg in fifth. I actually think one who just missed out for me has not been mentioned because I'm not really sure how to categorise him and partly, but, you know, still should be mentioned. Jordan Henderson does phenomenally well, I think, in the, in the defensive midfield position, especially when yeah. Fabinho doesn't play. Leader, very good, decent passer, decent distributor, covers ground. Actually kept Fabinho out of the side for quite a while. He playing as that lone six, so I think yeah. we can throw his name in there. He might come up next week, actually. If we, I don't know where to class Jordan Henderson, but he's a very good player. And I've always classed him as a box, box midfielder, to be honest. Yeah. Well, a bit like Kante um, is a bit, though, isn't he? Kante, yeah. See, that's the thing. Kante can play box to box, and he can play defensive midfield. I think Henderson can too. Actually. I don't know. I don't know. Henderson, I think yeah, Henderson can too. Yeah. Henderson and Heiberg, Heiberg is a good fifth because you just covered all my points, and that's good. So fantastic. Can move on to the next one. Good. Also fifth for me for the reasons you alluded to. Now we'll start in our European roundup. Actually, I think and just have a quick look in La Liga. Actually, because there are a few interesting um, games this weekend. Real Sociedad, I think, drew to maintain their lead at the top on 24 points doing remarkably well but Atletico behind one point with two games in hand could it be their year well we'll come come on to that in a second actually we'll probably talk about the Catalan, Catalan Giants Real Madrid losing again this time at home to Deportivo Alaves and you know, it's another, another questionable result for Zinedine Zidane went behind to a Lucas Perez penalty and then a Hossolu second goal uh, late Casemiro goal wasn't enough to spare Zidane's blushes now it's, yeah, I mean, they had 20 shots, 11, uh, created 11 chances, 68% possession. Almost, well, over twice the amount of accurate passes that uh, Deportivo managed. But they are struggling a bit, Real Madrid. Five wins, two draws, three losses. I mean, they're doing slightly better than Barcelona, to be fair. And they are in the top four of La Liga, although Sevilla will replace them if they win their game in hand. Um, it's it. I don't know. I suppose I, I look at I, I look at Real Madrid, and I know they've got Eden Hazard, and he's he's actually suffered another injury, actually, which is a shame for him in it's that a, game. Quite a major injury as well. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be out for a few months. It's just that it, I think uh, Zach Lowy, who was on this web, uh, podcast a few times, he made the comment that it was like Kaká when he went to Real Madrid, a world beater when he left AC Milan, and then he, his career just went downhill almost from the moment he stepped on the pitch at the Barnabas and. You know, other than Hazard, they've not really spent a great deal of money of Real Madrid. And it looks like the squad's regressing in the way that it has. Because, you know, if you think 10 years ago, they signed so many top players, you know, over the over the past decade. And it's almost like they've been paying for that ridiculous expenditure over the past four or five years. And the, the big money man that they've got in with Ed and Hazard has been a flop, really. And through, mainly through yeah, no fault of his own. Yeah, I mean- it's really unfortunate because he is a world-class player is, yeah. when he's in form. Yeah. I don't think he's lost it. I think he's just had a load of injuries. Like, yeah. I, I haven't seen it. He's had more injuries at Real Madrid than he had in seven years at Chelsea. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And the injury he's got now, um, it's a hamstring injury. Yeah. So he's going to miss the rest of the group stages of the Champions League and at least the next couple of league games. You know, and that's, it's just... I feel sorry for him because... Yeah, moving to Real Madrid was his childhood dream. dream. Like he wanted to play for Madrid his whole life. He finally got the move to Madrid at his prime, you know, 28, I think he was. Mm. And yeah. it's just worked yet. And it's not, mm. and it's nothing to do with, with him mm. as much as it, the injuries he's had. He's never been a, 
given a chance to get a settled mm. run in the team. You know, he's 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 not played that many mm. games. I mean, with, with with Real Madrid, though, I mean, Zidane had a remarkable time where he won three Champions Leagues on the spin. Then he left uh, just as Ronaldo departed. And everyone said, oh, he's very clever there because he's maintained his managerial, uh, wonderful managerial record. And then he came back and he kind of did, he's done OK, actually, really. He won La Liga last year. So that 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 was a nice little uh, coup for him, I think, because it wasn't the easiest situation to deal with at Real Madrid, uh, given, as we say, the interest to Hazard, the lack of spending in other areas, I guess. But yeah. I suppose now, again, they haven't been able to get, get in any, any major superstars. I mean, Luka Modric is still featuring fairly regularly. He's getting on quite old. He's quite old now. Sergio Ramos... When he doesn't play, didn't play against Deportivo Alaves. He lose two one. It doesn't seem to be coincidental that whenever Sergio Ramos doesn't play, their defense seems to crumble. And you know, I think th- I suppose they're suffering in a way, a bit like Barcelona. They've had the glory days where they were, they were, you know, the top of the Europe. Those two, they were the El Clasico was the game everyone wanted to see because it was the superstars against the superstars. And now it seems like they're coming crashing back down because they almost sat on their laurels and they didn't sustainably plan for the future. They didn't invest in youth. They didn't plan ahead. And now they're, they're crumbling. Yeah. I mean, Madrid started buying players. They had a massive recruitment drive when the dam came back and they Mm. bought well, I thought actually Mm. uh, Mm. overall, Uh, you know, Mendy, for example, Mm. Vincius is an excellent player. Mm. Uh, Jovic had 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 a great, come off a great season. Mm, you know, and he thought true. he was a good one, but that's turned out not to be the case. But they weren't what, quite... What, 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 as well, that they went after every... They basically just looked for every talented youngster they could find, Brazilian yeah. especially, and just bought them. Mm. Because, because I think, and apparently it was because Perez had missed out on Neymar when he was young. And he was like, <laughs> didn't want to make that mistake again, so he no. just went for every big, hype Brazilian youngster. Uh, and some of them have paid off, but some yeah. of them haven't, and they're not playing. Um, yeah, I mean... No strategy. It, there was no like team building. It's a, it's a far no... cry, isn't it, from the ones where they were getting Ronaldo, Bale, Tony Kroos, um, Courtois, even, and all you know. They assembled the well. They, they assembled the Galacticos. They bought the best. You know, they shopped at the you know highest. You know, the most expensive yeah. retailers. And it, it, and like like Zach Lowry said, it, it, it's a, it's. It's panic. It's panic chasing sustainability, isn't it? Without a coherent plan, and you know we've still got now a lot of the old guard are still playing because some of those young players and some of the you know talents that they picked up, Jovic has been one of them, just aren't suited to the way that Real Madrid play. Jovic is is it was suited to a four four two at Frankfurt, and at Real Madrid yeah. they play four three three, and it just hasn't. Yeah, because you know, there's been so many. Yeah, he never suited how they play. Yeah. Mm. Tell you what, though, on a, on a brighter note, Barcelona, who have been really in dodgy form, won 4 0 over Osasuna this weekend. And I don't know if you saw some of the goals, but Messi scored a cracker, and Griezmann nearly took the net off with with his yeah, volley from the edge of yeah. the box. Absolute cracker. The particular was interesting because it's yeah. uh, because it was it's identical to a goal that Maradona scored. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we should remember that Maradona. We should. We should actually. Away. It seems, uh, it seems uh, actually a while. I just mentioned this goal that Messi scored yeah. today because it was yeah. identical to a goal that Maradona scored um, yeah. decades ago. It was an identical goal, and then he took his shirt off, and he and underneath he had a he had actually a real shirt that that Maradona had worn mm. when he scored that goal. I think I think it was 
Um, yeah. Because he bought the shirt, I think he had the shirt in his collection. And he, he wore it, for, and yeah, and it was it was a powerful moment, you know, to celebrate. Uh, obviously, a legendary footballer, one of the greatest yeah. of all time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I, I should have ran with that really, but it seems like a while. I know we're doing this podcast now; it's a day later than we usually do it, but it does seem like a while. It seems like a lot has passed since he since he unfortunately passed away because there's been so much coverage of it hasn't there and rightly so what a phenomenal player I mean it, it brings us on nicely actually to in Serie A Napoli uh, I think there was there were huge commemorations for his death I, I, on, on the day of his death there were the streets were lined with flares and chants Diego yeah. and they left the lights on in, in the stadium I believe uh, they left a light on for Maradona in the stadium of Napoli and also with River Plate I think they scored a goal uh, sorry Big Boca Juniors Boca Juniors scored a goal. Boca Juniors, the team Maradona supported, and they scored a goal at the weekend. And they uh, went to his daughter, who was in the crowd, and they she was one of the few people allowed to watch. Obviously, given that most most games are behind closed doors, and they all applauded her and she cried, and that was also very powerful. Mm. Um, and also with Napoli as well, a four nil win over Roma, so quite you know, an emphatic victory and they dedicated that to Maradona as well, of course. Um, and, yeah. and I echo your thoughts as well. Uh, very sad that, you know, such a legend passed away, especially during these troublesome times. And mm. yeah, uh, Napoli, I suppose, a victory, I guess, I guess, inspired in many ways to, to win for someone yeah, who was, was such saying, a legend to them. Yeah. He's an absolute god in, in Napoli. He but is, absolutely. Uh, I, can't, I don't think it's... it's it's difficult to underestimate. It's easy to underestimate the the, uh, the 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 status that he has there. I mean, if you think that Napoli in the eighties were not, they weren't winning anything. They weren't. They were nowhere near the top. It was it was AC Milan, Juventus. You know, they were winning everything. He goes to Napoli, and they win two Serie A titles in the in the UEFA Cup mm. in three years or four years. In sorry, in four years and yeah. Yeah, he's just a god there, uh, and yeah, and they're going to call they're going to rename the stadium the Diego Armando Maradona oh, as well, good. which I thought was a really beautiful gesture, a beautiful thing to do, um, and was really well received by the fans as well. Uh, and it was almost an immediate decision, I think. Yeah, I don't know if his family will hear this, but you know, obviously, it's very sad and no, yeah. them, and he's a uh, obviously one of the greatest footballers that's ever been. Absolutely, no, he is. He absolutely is. And yeah, uh, you're absolutely right with everything. He was a god in, in Serie A, as, we, as you say, thoughts are with his family. In Serie A, actually, Napoli winning 4 0 and go, just go to the top of the table. Ibrahimovic inspired AC Milan without their talisman today. And they beat Fiorentina, sorry, on Sunday, uh, beat Fiorentina by two goals to nil. So it shows that they're not quite a one man band. And that you know that's quite promising for them, I guess. Mr. Penalty as well. So their winning run continues. They're five points clear at the top of Serie A, uh, doing really well. Inter are now second, um, and it was quite interesting actually because there lots of uh, disgruntled Inter fans calling for Antonio Conte's head after a disappointing showing against Real Madrid in the Champions League. Although it wasn't helped by Altura Vidal doing a ridic- making a ridiculous gesture to get sent off in midway through the first half, but three nil win for Inter Milan um, so I think that was over Hellas Verona but I'll just double check so that was um, that's something isn't it I mean it's like some people have said they, they've jumped into the Antonio Conte project into Milan head first Sassuolo 3-0 one over Sassuolo so even better than I thought they've jumped into the Antonio Conte project head first they can't just jump out now can they 
No, no, no. Antonio Conte is a, is a, is a top manager. If you, mm. And he's won Serie A three times. So mm. you would you back him. If, you, if you're going to hire him, back him. Mm. Give him what he wants. And he, he, will, he has proven in the past that, that he delivers. Yes. Uh, you know, last season, they were one point off winning Serie A. They were, and they, fin- they got to the Europa League final, which is, given where they started from, is a good achievement. You know, yeah. and so yeah. I think you give him time and you back him with what he wants, he'll deliver. I do mm. believe that. And I think this season, actually, there's a chance that, you know, I don't think, I'm not sure Juventus are going to win Serie A this year. You know, I mean, it looks more and more like Perlo's a kind of a stopgap manager while they wait for the guy they really want. Five uh, draws, four wins, zero losses. Yeah, he won't, he won't be there next season if that continues. So, mm. uh, and now Pep Guardiola signed a new contract. I don't know who they'll go for. Pochettino, maybe. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's one option. Yeah, I wouldn't mm. be surprised. And then there's, mm. well, he'll have a, he'll have probably have suit, uh, suitors up in Manchester as well. The red yeah. half of Manchester. I imagine so, yeah. Oh, well, they did well this weekend. So, yes, they yeah. did. Yeah, um, and I actually thought they played some good football, but that's another yeah. for another day. Tell you what was a shock result as well in in, in Bundesliga. Uh, Borussia Dortmund losing two one to Cologne. Cologne, yeah, uh, Cologne, not Cologne, yeah. Cologne. And it's quite frustrating because you think they're building some momentum. Bayern look slightly penetrable. You know they've had one or two shaky results this season. Then Borussia Dortmund do that. Leipzig won two one. They go into second over Armania Bielefeld. And Bayern won three one over Stuttgart. So I, I think that the best thing about that, if you haven't seen it, go and see. Or PSG two two with Bordeaux as well. So they're looking a bit. Uh, people are catching them up in the league and title rest. I think they're only one point in front. But Thomas Muller said, with regards to the uh, game against uh, uh, Stuttgart, I think yeah, he said uh, <laughs> something along the lines of, uh, "How do the English say?" Um, it's like a it's like a cold, wet, windy night in Stoke, except it's not cold, wet, or windy, and uh, Stuttgart is not Stoke. So that was quite amusing to uh, to listen to. Please do listen to that on YouTube if you can. Um, yeah, he's quite a character, Thomas Muller. I do think he's uh, he does make me laugh from time to time with the things that he, he does, says. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's a character, right? I do like him. Yeah, and anyway, I think that that rounds us off. And uh, please do check the results after. Uh, again, this is sort of a an introduction into your European affairs. So please do have a look into some of the results across the board. This should be on iTunes, Buzzsprout, Spotify, and all good podcasting retailers. Um, and next week, yeah, and next week we'll have um, a look at some more advanced midfielders, the top five of those. I haven't decided how that will go yet. And three other topics, perhaps Arteta's an analysis of an analysis of Arteta's reign at Arsenal, which should be quite apt, given it'll just be after the North London derby. So it'll give us a good good point to stick on and build around. So yeah, from myself and James, I think that's a goodbye and I hope you enjoyed listening. Yeah. Goodbye, everyone.